Morning. How are we all? I literally just said to Sai, I better make sure my Kindle's on the right page, and then I hit something and it's gone to completely the wrong place. There we go. Um, cool. Well, I hoped to start this morning. I had this whole spiel about how nervous I was, about it being the, uh, the 15th, and how nervous I was, and I'd never been this nervous preaching because England were playing, and then that didn't happen. Um, so, um, so I've had to rewrite the start, but um, <laughs> other than that, it's all good. Um, I'm excited by what uh, has happened this morning because it's in line with what I've got here, and um, yeah, it's amazing to hear what God's saying to us. But I want to take you back to last week, um, a little um, encouragement I gave last week and uh, about the unconditional love of God. Um, I want you to picture the scene, it's 4.30 in the morning, and um, I'm leaving Manchester in my car after working, and I'm driving back home. And the sun is starting to come up, but it's kind of that dusky time thing. The lights in the cars are all on, all that sort of thing. And as I hit the top of the Pennines, at that point, the sun decides that's the time to break through. That's the time it's going to shine. And at that point, I can't see anything. The sun is right in my eyes, but obviously my sunglasses are in the boot of my car. Because why would I get them out? Because it was dark when I left. Um... But the sun is shining right over the hills from the east, coming, powering golden sunshine all across the hills. Absolutely incredible beauty. You know, every morning that sun rises. Every morning, no matter what I do, that sun rises. And every morning it will rise from the time I started on this earth to the time I go to be with Jesus. It will rise. There's nothing I can do. And it's like that with the love of God. There's nothing I can do to separate me from the love of God. There's nowhere I can go. There's nothing I can say. No attitude I can have. No opinion I can have that will separate me from the love of God. John 3:16, the most I believe it's the most quoted Bible verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. This verse defines being loved into life. If you're a member of the family, you'll know this. But if you're not a member of the family, just to let you know that this is, this is one of our uh, things that we're going after. This is one of the things that God's saying to us, that we are loved into life. So we've spent quite a lot of time over the past few years looking at love and looking at what love is and unconditional love. But the thing that's really stirred in me recently in this is the word life. Because what does life actually mean? How do I know I'm alive as an individual, both physically and spiritually? How do I know I'm alive? How do we know we are alive as a church? So I'm going to take a couple of minutes just to get a little bit biological with you. To go back to my GCSE science, which is a scary long time ago that I don't want to talk about. Um... And, um, you know, for those of you that know me, you know, biology is not my strength. <laughs> Physics, maths, strengths, biology, not anything to do with medicine and health and blood and no. Um, I've never done a first aid course because it would be, you'd need a first aider to help me out first. Um, 
But I do know this stuff. <laughs> um, and my GCSE in science tells me that there are seven signs of life. And so I'm going to quickly uh, go through them for you. Um, and I want you to think not just about what that means physically, but what that might mean spiritually. Okay? So the first one is growth. It increases in size. Something that's alive increases in size. Respiration. We breathe. We create chemical reactions that break down things and they release energy within us. Excretion. Things that are alive get rid of stuff that isn't doing them any good. Nutrition. We feed on good things. Reproduction. We can make more of the same kind of things. Things that are alive make the same things as themselves. They don't make something completely different. They, make, reprodu- they reproduce. They make the same thing. Sensitivity. They can detect things around them and respond to them. And finally, movement. They can move and change their position. You know, if we're alive as a people and as a church, I believe this, we should be exhibiting these signs. So here's a few examples because we are a live church. We've had baptisms recently. That's an example of growth and reproduction We've had teaching and revelation. That's an example of nutrition, that goodness of God getting into us, the teaching and the word of God getting into us. We've seen people being set free from things, from issues in their lives, from cancer. That's an example of excretion, getting rid of the bad things. We've heard all about community outreach, all the things that we're doing in our community. That's an example of sensitivity, knowing what's going on around us and responding to it. And this morning we've worshipped. And we've stood and we've breathed in the presence of God. And we've absorbed and we've taken in his goodness for us. Church, we are alive. And we're moving. And this morning I want to talk about movement. Because I believe God is calling us to be a church that's on the move. God is calling his church globally to move. So not moving is unnatural. I'm a fidgeter. You can... If you watch me for like a minute, like <laughs> um, I'm a fidgeter. If I sit at home, I'm tapping, I'm fiddling with my phone, I'm fiddling with something. I've got this terrible habit where I fiddle with labels, which you'll all know about now and you'll be looking out for, which I've had since I was about one. Um, I'm, a, I'm always fiddling. I can't, I don't like being still. Um, but you know, spiritually, it happens as well as physically. It's, it feels unnatural not to move in the spiritual. Yeah, speaking for myself, some of the frustrations I've had over the years, uh, whether recently or, or going back, some of the frustrations I've had as, as I've been on this journey have been because I've sensed a lack of movement, because I felt like there wasn't any movement where I was. I want to say now, a lack of movement, and this was already in here, but God's confirmed it this morning. I think a lack of movement is different to waiting on God. Okay, as I, I preached uh, a few months ago, and I talked about active waiting. Your waiting's not a passive thing. When, we talk, when Trev says we need to decide whether we're to wait or move, it's not we need to stand still and passively wait and see what goes on. But we're actively waiting. It's always pursuing, always going after God. And sometimes God just says, I want you to stand here and wait. And just see what goes on. See what I'm saying. See what I'm doing in this. And then he accelerates you off. But there's, it's a, there's always a progression Sometimes we're, going, we're waiting and we're going into the depths, but we're still moving. Just have some water. Yeah. 
you know, Trev said this morning, wait when you should wait and move when you should move. But it's always waiting. Richard referred to recently, didn't he? He referred to the bones and, and, and the bones that had sinews and things put on them. That's a period of waiting, but there's still movement going on there. But you know what happens to those bones? They get the breath put into them. It says in Ezekiel 37, So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath entered them. They came to life, and they stood up on their feet, a vast army. When the breath enters them, they stand to their feet and they move. And that's how we know they're alive, because they move. You know, our kids are quite different, um, partly because one's eight and a girl and one's seven months and a boy. But um, they're quite different in other ways already. And one of the ways we noticed almost immediately was how they breathe at night. Now, um, (laughs) Phoebe has a, uh, or used to have, a floppy larynx, um, which meant that when she breathed, you could tell. When she was asleep, you could tell. Um, Really noisy. Like, you could walk up the stairs and go, oh, she's fine. And... (laughs) Walked out. Josiah is the quietest sleeper ever, and and he sleeps in the most cool position. It's pretty much like this. <laughs> he literally just lies there, still as anything, and so and you can't hear him breathe because he's really quiet. And this really, like when we first had Josiah, it really freaked us out <laughs> because we got so used to Phoebe, who we were very aware that she was breathing, and uh, you have to go over to him. Sometimes you're like that. Listening for it and looking for it and putting your hand near his mouth to see if you can. And eventually, you just watch his little chest go, and then you might wriggle a little bit. Oh yeah, he's fine. He's alive. (laughs) You know, because he moves, I know he's alive. So, what does it look like? We're going to look in a minute at uh, an example of someone that moves, Um, but. You know, we've been talking about the river, and the river moves. We know the river's alive because it moves. And there's different stages of that river, and they all move differently, but it's always moving. It might be the slow trickle at the beginning, big sweeping bends. It might be rushing rapids, towering waterfalls. But it's always moving. It's always alive. I just want to put that out there. Um, But let's turn to Joshua 1, if we can. I'm going to be in the ESV. Um, and just set the context for this, most of you will know, but the, the context of this is that the Israelites have been set free from Egypt. They've been set free um, from slavery, and they've gone, and they're moving towards the promised land. And they get towards the promised land, and Moses sends out some spies. And he says, go and tell me what the land's like. And they come back, and most of them say, oh, it's scary. We can't do it. We can't go in there. We can't, we can't take hold of this land. And there's two guys, Joshua and Caleb, who say, we believe we can. But unfortunately, every, every person in the Israelite camp goes with the people who say we can't. And so for 40 years, the, uh, the Israelites roam in the wilderness. For 40 years, they, they move around. And until most of the, that generation, apart from Joshua and Caleb, that generation die off. And there comes a new generation. And God says it's time to move. And we pick it up in Joshua 1. It says, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise. Go over this Jordan, 
you and all the people into the land that I am giving to, to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon I, give to, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened, and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And so the people move. And the people move into uh, the land that God's given them. Interestingly, the first thing they do is they go through the river. <laughs> but they move. And uh, they go and they take hold of the land that God's given them. And uh, we're not going to read it all because it's quite a long book and that would use all my time. But um, I encourage you to read the story of Joshua. I've been rereading it and, and, and there's some incredible stories about how God enables these people to move, how God takes them on this journey. But just very quickly, I'm going to give a little overview of what I believe some of this, what I believe this story, some of the examples of movement are, what movement looks like and what it can look like. First of all, it's deliberate. You know, in verse 2, it says, now therefore go. It doesn't say, oh, if you think about it, maybe if you want to go, go. It says, no, go. It looks forward. You know, it's, it's now Moses is dead, you go. Don't look back. Go forward. But it trusts in the call of God. It talks about the promises that God gave to Moses. Go into that new land. Look forward, go. But go because I've promised it in the past. Go forward. And then from other parts of this story in Joshua, spiritual movement's compassionate. The story of Rahab. We see, we see compassion. You know, sometimes it's peaceful. There's a moment just before they take Jericho where they stand before the angel. The angel of the Lord comes and they stand before him. And uh, he says, take off your sandals for the place you're standing in is holy. That's part of that waiting that we were talking about earlier. But sometimes it's forceful and it sees walls break down. The, the very familiar to us, Battle of Jericho. And it moves with the seasons of God, not the seasons of man. There's a story later on in Joshua 10 where they're in a battle and the sun stands still. God's in charge of the seasons, not man. And, and you know, we... I remember when the uh, the 2008 recession first hit and, and I lost my job and I thought, oh no, what's going to go on? But God sustained me. 
in amongst all the all the rubbish going on around the world, God sustained me. In fact, I started picking up more work than I'd ever picked up before. Because I'm governed by his seasons, not by man's. And it is how we receive our full inheritance. Joshua twenty four twenty eight. So Joshua sent the people away, every man, to his inheritance. When we move with God, when we're moving with him, that's where we receive our full inheritance. So I guess the question is, how do we move then? Let's turn to Ephesians 3, verse 14. I think this one's from the NIV. I wrote this one. Sorry, Paul. It says, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of, God, love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. We're filled with the fullness of God when we're rooted and established in his love. And Because you know, God is love, his love is his fullness. We're filled with the love of God. And it's interesting, the word here, um, the word that's used for filled here is the Greek word, pleirocho. I don't know if I pronounced that right. I think that's right. Um, and um, I found this out because I was chatting to my brother about this. And, uh, and he'd, he'd read this article about being filled. And it turns out that fill, in this context, fill is not like a jar that we think of. So we think of um, being filled as if, if I fill this glass of water, I can fill it to the top. And then it, it can overflow, but it's there and it's held. But actually, one of the ways that fill is, is used, one of the ideas of the word fill is the idea of pressure. Okay, um, And it's used to describe the wind billowing in sails. So if you imagine a sail on a boat... Paul, can you put that picture up of the, uh, the boat? Just to help us. So this is one of the yachts that's just gone around the world um, recently. And each of those sails, the wind blows into it, but it doesn't stay there and sit there forever. But it's a constant through, it's constantly flowing through, and the pressure is what pushes it along. And that's what it's like when we're filled with the love of God. It's not We don't get filled and then that's it. But actually, it's a constant, constantly coming through, constantly pushing us along. You know, these things go ridiculously fast. I meant to find out a stat, but they go, I mean, they're going around the world. But they've broken the records for, for 24 hours speed under wind. It's, it's immense how fast you can go when you're pushed by the wind. And it's incredible how fast we can go when we're pushed by the love of God. It's a constant thing. God's love is the thing that both causes us to move and then enables us to move. 
We don't receive it and then crack on, but we continually allow our sails to be fooled. We continually allow ourselves to be guided. But, you know, it's effortless. Like, it doesn't take the effort of the sail. It doesn't take the effort of the sail to move. They put the sails up. They get the sails right, and then it just goes. Um, and I've done a, a small amount of sailing in my life. Um, not for a while, but um, my dad's a very keen, keen sailor. And uh, I've done a reasonable amount of sailing. And what I know about sailing is that you constantly have to adjust things. You constantly have to change things. You constantly have to tweak things. Because you're responding to the way the wind's blowing. You're responding to the way the currents are going. You're responding to the circumstances, the situations around you. And, and every time you want to move slightly or change angle, you have to pull in the sail or you have to let it go. And even if you're sailing in exactly the same direction, if the wind moves slightly, then to get the most out of the wind, you have to pull the sail in or you have to let it go. But it's constant, small adjustments. 28 years ago, I became a Christian uh, when I was seven. And um, since then, I've felt God guiding me. I've known, I've known the call of God on my life, and I've felt God guiding me. And I can reflect on times when there's been significant shift in, my, in the direction God's calling me to. I remember when God said what job he wanted me to do. I can remember where I was when he said, I want you to come to Huddersfield. I can remember where I was when he said, can you go to Reading? And then, can you come back to Huddersfield? I remember being in the car on the M25 when God told me to put roots down in Huddersfield. Um, and, and over the years, I remember some real leaps of faith, some big movements. But actually, I've become increasingly aware that it's the constant adjustments that sustain me. It's not the big leaps of faith. Although for some of us, there are big leaps of faith we have to go through. But actually, day to day, it's the little adjustments that, uh, that sustain me, that keep my relationship with God. That's what keeps the sails full. That's when I know his love. That's what keeps my relationship with God strong. And that is what keeps me moving. You know, and, and as a couple, you, a lot of you know our story and we've shared it quite a lot. But there have been some really dark times and some real, our marriage has really struggled at times. And one of the biggest breakthroughs in our marriage was when I realized that it was the small things that needed to be adjusted. You know, I can buy flowers, I can take Ruth out for dinner. She's probably nodding her head. Um, yes, I know it's our wedding anniversary tomorrow. 13 years, at least I remember the number. Um, and, um, but it's, it's those small things, it's those small adjustments. What does, what does my wife value? The little things, the, oh, if I did this differently, if I changed this. I read a, a book called The Five Love Languages, and it completely changed my life because I realized what, and I recommend that book to anyone, but I realized the things that made Ruth tick, the things that, that she valued, why they mattered to her. And I could adjust little things. And it's the small things that, make, that have sustained us. You know, those are, the, those are the things that truly say, I love you. You know, we can feel like we're not moving. We can be frustrated and we're waiting for the next big call of God. We're waiting for the next moment where God says, go over there and do this and change this nation and do this. When actually we're looking around for that big moment of first love again. We're looking around to fall in love with Jesus all over again and God's standing here 
And he's saying, I just, I just want to hold you. I just want to give you a hug. I just want to tell you how great you are. And we're looking out there for him and he's standing right here. You know, there's little tweaks that we need to make in our lives. And, and I believe God's going to reveal to each of us the little tweaks. But, you know, for some of us, maybe God wants you to get up five minutes earlier. You know, maybe you need to put your phone down for ten minutes. Maybe he wants you to have a coffee with someone. You know, I believe there are people who are going to be sent into the nations. Ian and Tasha here this morning because God sent, sent them. to. They're not here this morning because God sent them. They're here this morning having been sent to another nation. But, and I believe that will happen for some people. But I believe also that God wants us to make little tweaks. So to finish, I've got four small areas of adjustment that we can make that will enable our sails to be filled further with with his love. And it goes back to the, some of it goes back to what I was reading earlier in Joshua. The first one is decide you want to move. You can't move if you decide you don't want to move. You have to decide, if you're in a boat, you have to untie from the key and you have to move. (laughs) Or you have to lift the anchor and you have to move. Joshua was told, now arise. He had to then make a decision whether he did. God doesn't force himself upon us. He's gracious and he's loving and he's kind. And if you want to stay still, he'll let you. But God wants us to move and we need to decide. So number one, decide you want to move. Number two, position yourself correctly. Um, I'm going to show you a picture now of something that's not positioned correctly. I don't know if you can see that. Um, Just for the record, no one was hurt. Um, But this, uh, I got a phone call from Ruth last September um, saying, don't panic. Bearing in mind she was seven months pregnant at the time and it was 10 o'clock on a Sunday night. Um, Don't panic, but you can't get down our road. And uh, if you've ever been down our road, the cars park on the curb because you can't get down. And uh, that is... Ruth's Mini, that she no longer has, which is why she's crying. Um, and an Audi A1 on its roof. And the guy had flipped it. Now, it doesn't take a moment to work out which of those cars is positioned incorrectly. <laughs> and you know, the minute that car was positioned incorrectly, it couldn't move. That Audi's not going anywhere. Well, until the tow truck came and grabbed it and pulled it on its roof onto the back. And she sat there and smiled. Um, but the, uh, that car's not going anywhere because it's positioned incorrectly. We need to position that you can get rid of that apple. Otherwise, Ruth will never forgive me. Um, we need to position ourselves correctly. We need to align ourselves with the cross. We need to come and stand at the foot of the cross and say, God, what do you want me to adjust? What do you want to change? You know, that's part of the reason we worship. That's part of aligning ourselves with the cross. When this morning we were singing, waiting here for you, and we're singing uh, with our, what's the line? I know it off by heart. With our hands lifted high in praise. You know, that's not an instruction that immediately, the minute this song comes on, you must all lift your hands. Although, you know, a lot of us do. You know, but God's not looking down there going, oh, he didn't lift his hands. But it's a, 
that whole thing is surrendering to God, standing at the foot of the, foot of the cross and just saying, God, I surrender to you. Because when we're in that place, then God can show us the things that we need to adjust. The third point, we need to pull in and hold tight the things that we need to pull and hold tight to. Verse 8 in this, uh, in Joshua 1, talks about the book of the law. The word of God is crucial to us. And we need to hold it tight. And it's been said before, and we say it again. We need to hold that tight to us. We need to treasure it. We need to enjoy it. There's promises of God. This heart, this uh, the moving into into um, Israel, moving into the land, the promised land. It was a promised land. It had been promised to them. You need to hold tight to the promises of God. If God said something over your life, hold tight to it. Because he is faithful and he is just and it will happen. We need to hold tight to the truth that he is always with us. It says uh, in there that, that God never leaves, God won't leave the Israelites. It says I'll be with you as you go. The truth is that God will never leave you. And even if you're in a dark place, hold tight to that. Pull that truth in. And hold tight to it. And our fourth point. We need to loosen and let go. You know sometimes when you're, um, when you're sailing. You need to let the sail out. Sometimes you need to put it in. Sometimes you need to let it out. To fill up with, with the wind. To let the wind fill it. We need to loosen and let go. The things that we need to loosen and let go of. Verse 9 in there talks about fear. And dismay. We're children of God. There's no place for fear. Because he comes and he changes it. And he changes our lives. And I've preached on fear before as well. So I'm not going to go go for it. But um, we need to let go of fear. We need to let go of disappointment. Frustration, and I know these things. Some of these things are a process, and we have to work through them. And and sometimes we have to talk to people. But sometimes we reach a point where we just have to say, "I need to let go of that." We need to let go of bad attitudes. We need to let go of hurts that we have. We need to let go of frustrations. There's things that you know, and I, I've done it before. There's things that you, we know that God has has dealt with that we need to let go of because. That's what's stopping us moving into the next thing. That's what's stopping us moving into the next thing God has for us. Because we keep going back. You know, I um, lost, I mentioned earlier, I lost my job in 2008. And um, the part of the breakthrough came when I gave up trying to get my job back. I kept contacting the guy and saying, oh, you know, could you, like, what if I change this? And what if I do this? And, and uh, you know, unsurprisingly, every time, you're like, well, no. <laughs> um but actually the breakthrough came for me when I started moving into the new thing God had for me and letting go of that and not standing there going, oh, maybe I'll get my job back. But actually letting go of the thing that, that happened. You know, I believe as we individually make the small adjustments, as we trim our sails, as we allow ourselves to be filled more and more of his love, that we will move. We'll move into greater experiences of him. 
will move into greater revelation of what he has for us. And collectively, we will see this town and this nation changed.